Hello and welcome to the Musty Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Jesus, and I'm joined by my friend and yours, Michelle. We are the Musty Collective, creatives on a journey to better storytelling. Thank you for joining us today, even though it's musty in here. I just want to say, it feels like it's been a while since we've done this. Because we've had a lot of interviews, they've been great, we took a break yes. for two weeks. And then we recorded separately for two weeks. Yeah. So it has kind of been a while. It's been a month. Yeah. Over a month. So it's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too. It's good to be here with you in the mic. Yes. Today we are going to talk about, what are we going to talk about today, Michelle? Cruella. Cruella. Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. <laughs> So uh, it's the new Disney Plus film. Yes, we pl- we paid for the premiere access, and, and you know we we are not afraid to go to the movie theaters. No, because we just saw a Quiet Place too. Yeah, we did in, in movie theaters, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, but this time we decided just to pay for it. It's easy; everyone can see it. We can see it multiple times, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the whole entire movie, so full spoilers. And let's start the show. get into Cruella, we recently received some mail from one of our listeners regarding our past episode about Raya and the Last Dragon, episode 94. And again, we're so grateful for this, you know, this feedback and, and the email. So thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we're going to, you know, share with you a little bit of the email and respond here on the podcast. Yes. So this email was from Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> and so, um, I think Kevin. I think this is the first email we've had about the podcast, like about an episode saying, "Hey, I thought this was interesting." That is true. So, woo woo. We should put some some ding 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 here. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you so much. This is awesome. Yes. So uh, the first point that Kevin was making was that Raya's father sacrificing for his daughter was like Moana's grandmother. And yes, if you go back and listen to episode 94, we did talk about Moana a little bit Mm -hmm. in kind of like the ranking of the films. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that Kevin brought this up. Mm -hmm. So he said that, he says, I read something that someone posted realizing what Moana's grandma did. She held on to the heart of Tefiti and was keeping her alive. She knew that when she would give it to Moana, she would die soon after, but did it anyways, knowing she was chosen by the ocean to return the heart. It makes sense to me, but I never realized that during the movie, and it really made me realize the sacrifice she made, and it wasn't just coincidence that she suddenly became ill. Yeah, so this goes into the idea of, like, you know, Raya's father and his sacrifice, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a couple of points below from kevin's email but i I thought this was a really good comparison you know we confess on the podcast we have seen moana 
But it wasn't like one of our top films, so we didn't really rewatch it a lot. Yeah. So there's like a lot of details we're missing. So this is great feedback from Kevin here. Mm-hmm. And then he also says, maybe the Dragonstone thing was making their land plentiful and also keeping him alive or young. And that's why all the other tribes envied the Heart Tribe. The Dragonstone is broken. The Druins show up and maybe he won't be strong enough anymore. Yeah. So this, this is going to jump right into... You know, why Raya didn't jump into the... Raya's father, um, Bob, didn't jump into the river. And also speaking to, like, the jealousy of the other uh, other, other lands of, like, Heart. You know, they were jealous of Heart because they had the Dragonstone. But at the same time, uh, was there, like, any properties that they were getting? Any benefits? Mm -hmm. From the movie, it didn't seem so. But Kevin gave some some good feedback here as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And then speaking on why Raya's father did not jump into the river, which was a big um, problem for us. (laughs) Yeah, a big sticking point for us, for sure. Uh, He said, it's possible he felt so guilty that he tried to reunite the tribes and felt he failed. So he gave up and knew his daughter would have to be the one to do it. Failure doesn't bode too well in that type of culture and time period. During World War II, Japanese commanders would go down with their ship if it was severely damaged and sometimes destroy the ship to keep the enemy from taking it. Soraya's father is going down with the ship, metaphorically. Yeah, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, I I have no real comment there besides, like, it it makes sense, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, for me, it was more about, like, the idea that Maybe the Dragonstone gave him some strength and he wasn't strong enough. Or kind of like what he was saying earlier about comparing it to Moana's grandmother. Like knowing that Raya can do this and she needs this transformational period by herself. Instead of, you know, being kind of coddled and dependent on her father. So he decided to trust in her. Mm-hmm. Or he was just trying to distract the Druin from her and it would be more obvious if she was alone. Or if she was by herself, it would be less obvious that something or someone was there. Um, but yeah. And then speaking on us wanting an apology from Namari. Yeah, that was a huge point for me. Yes. Uh, I, and then Kevin says, I feel like some of the emotions you talked about wanting to see just don't happen all that often with that culture or society. You don't see characters saying sorry or asking for forgiveness. Like in Mulan, the animated movie, no one really apologizes to Mulan for not believing in her and ends up saving China, but she apologizes to everyone else pretty much. Yeah, that was that's a part, I was like, that would make me mad as Mulan, low-key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of Asian culture, especially, I'm sure, in earlier, more ancient times, is set up different with things such as honor, pride, dedication, and working hard to be the best they can be and being successful. I hope that makes sense. Similarly, in China, getting on the subway, you just push to get on from what my parents told me when they went. It's not rude or anything to them. It's just normal. When I think of Raya being told she needs to trust people, but she doesn't want to, I get it. I witnessed firsthand with someone I used to talk to, and they had serious issues with their own family when they were younger and really made it hard to trust anyone, let alone family. Yeah, and... Um, I guess to speak on this, I still feel like it's not good enough <laughs> as far as like Namari's um, apology to Raya. And but I do hear the idea that this was a different culture. But I guess since you're making it 
may a lot well i don't know who the audience is for it feels like mm-hmm. m- a lot of western the w- western society and in western society there's a big deal about you know forgiveness and apologies and things like that so maybe i'm just being selfish on my end and just like no it has to be this way and again it doesn't ruin the movie for me but it would have made the movie so much better in my mm-hmm. opinion but again i i definitely hear i hear what kevin is saying and I really appreciate this feedback because, again, it gives you that outside perspective. Mm-hmm. And so kind of finally, the final point here we're reading from Kevin's email goes more into this whole like the stubbornness uh, of Raya and her trust issue, which I, you know, I think multiple, you know, multiple people I've talked to were an, kind of annoyed with Raya's like distrustfulness of society. Mm-hmm. But again, I felt like that was very relatable because Especially today, we all have problems with trusting society and trusting other people. That's true. I mean, I don't think that's ever... That was ever not a thing. Honestly. Because there's just so many messed up people in the world. And, like, I know some people have more trust issues than others. And if you've been hurt a lot, it's even harder to trust. So the last point that Kevin makes is Raya's stubbornness seems indicative of several stories and or parables of the Bible. Many people were told what to do or what they should do and refused or didn't trust any of it. Yeah, and then I I looked, I I replied to Kevin and I asked for an example. And he said the story of Jonah. And actually, that's a really good, that's a really good example Mm -hmm. where Jonah is supposed to go and, you know, preach to a group of people, but they're kind of like an enemy uh of like in history of his people and he's he refuses what god asked him to do so like raya uh you know kind of like her father saying hey we have to unite everybody and then after the the problem with fang and how the dragon stone gets destroyed and divvied up between other tribes you know raya's like no i don't want to help anybody else i just want to get my bob back Mm -hmm. and i don't trust anybody else to help me get it done the, obviously, the main difference is Raya does get it done, and Jonah kind of gets it done, but then dies in like his bitterness, <laughs> I think, in the desert. <laughs> so I think that's a very good example, and I, I just thought that was an interesting point that he brought up. Mm-hmm. So a big thanks to Kevin for writing into the show, and if any of you, our Musty Collective, would like to write to us and be a part of our conversations here on the show, you can email us at themustycreative at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Kevin. And yeah, it's just awesome to see the Musty Collective community grow. And as we enjoy telling stories and, and growing from, from the storytelling that we're receiving, uh, it's also great to have awesome conversations like this. No, I, I, I'm not going to do Cru- that. Cruella. Yeah, that's all you. That's all you, Michelle. Cru- <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we actually just watched it today. Yeah. So it's fresh in our brains. Fresh in the brain. And we have a lot of opinions. 
it was very fun to watch. It was very enjoyable. It's worth the $30. You can watch it multiple times. It's a movie you can watch multiple times. And I think Disney did a great job with this. Mm-hmm. Very entertaining. I will say the first 30 minutes, I thought, oh, this movie's going to fail. <laughs> the first 30 minutes had me kind of shaky. But it really makes up for it in, in the second act. Yeah. I mean, I liked all the the entire like beginning of it. I thought it was funny. Um, and then it was kind of depressing at the same time. But the part that I think we both like looked at each other and were like, that was weird, was when Estella's mother died by way of Dalmatian. <laughs> I don't know if that... Yeah, the <laughs> Dalmatians knocked her off the um, the terrace and she fell to her death in the ocean. Yeah. So Estella is Cruella's alter ego? Or is Cruella Estella's alter ego? All right, so to answer your question, uh, Estella is Cruella, Cruella is Estella. And they kind of really, there's a, like a major point of the story where you you can feel empathetic for Estella and in that way kind of feel empathetic for Cruella. So the movie starts out with Estella uh, being taken, you know, being taken by her mother to be raised. There's no father figure around. And she, her mother, uh, the her mother that's taking care of her is played by Emily Beecham um, and her name is Catherine. And so as she's being raised in like the child scenes that they have in the movie, uh, Estella has these like episodes where she's Cruella, where she's doing something that's kind of evil or bad or not good from a societal standpoint. And so her mother, Catherine, is always constantly reminding her, oh, come on, Estella, you know, you know, be be Estella. Don't let Cruella out. And if Cruella comes back, what do we say? We say goodbye, Cruella and things like that. So mm-hmm. just to explain like what's going on here, like we, we're going to go back and forth between Estella and Cruella. And the movie makes a, a like a very... It takes a good part of the movie to explain and to show that as a plot uh, point of the film. That there is a difference between the two people. It's like a dual personality within the same person. Mm-hmm. And Estella is the good version. Kind of trying to imbue what Catherine, her mother, was like trying to show her and, and raise her. Cruella is like this psychotic bad girl. <laughs> yeah. Who loves fashion. Who loves fashion. Yes, that is mm-hmm. true. That is true. Yeah, so when Estella's mother gets killed, um, we when it first happened, we were like, this is kind of weird and too easy and cheesy. Yeah, I think it's, it's it was a combination of, you know, my the monitor that we were looking at, it just doesn't do night lighting, dark lighting very well. So I kind of want to rewatch it on a better screen <laughs> but it's also the combination that the cg dalmatian dogs so they make it very particular like it was dalmatians that killed corella's mother mm-hmm. so then at the first point i'm thinking oh so is this the reason why corella wants to make a dalmatian coat mm-hmm. and is it giving like a reason an excuse of like well it's okay because she's getting revenge on the dalmatians for killing her her mother mm-hmm and at this point in the film, we're like, we're looking at each other like, oh, this is bad. This is not, this is kind of cheesy and cringy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also the way she got killed is just like, they just jump on her and she just falls backwards into the ocean. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the? And we were really confused because I don't think dogs are that stupid where like, if 
someone just ducks, they don't see that the person yeah. ducked and they keep running towards whatever they were running towards. Right, because the scene, to explain the scene, like, Cruella got herself into some mischief. And it's always interesting. It's like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. It's like, well, why did you do that? Because then your mother would probably be alive yeah. today. Anyways, the dogs are chasing her. And she ducks or she falls down and she thinks they're going to eat her face off or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the dogs jump over her and then leap on top of her mother. Yeah. So, again, very interesting. She's also, her mother is talking to a strange woman that we get to find out later is the Baroness, mm -hmm. played by Emma Thompson. And uh, But we don't really get to know her character. We just see a figure and we say, okay, we'll, we'll see this person down the line. Yeah. And so later on in the film... Um, we realize that this, I guess, scene of her mother dying and her just assuming it was her fault, it is from the perspective of a child. Yes. So it, it would make sense that, like, wait, that kind of didn't make sense and there weren't, like, a whole lot of details of, like, how it happened and why the dogs would just chase after whatever was in front of them instead of, like, really sniffing out, like, the person they were hunting for. Right. Um, so we end up do discovering that the Baroness was using a dog whistle. Yep. And she was instructing them to murder her mother. So it or really... Or at least to attack her. Yes. So it really wasn't um, Cruella's fault. It was the Baroness's fault. Yeah. But since she was a child at the time when she saw her mother murdered... Mm -hmm. She blamed herself. As kids do. Yeah. And that was kind of like an impetus for her, you know, putting herself into the lifestyle of being a thief, meeting Jasper and Horace's children. I thought that was a key aspect that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And and then eventually leading, you know, down the road to her starting her career in fashion. But she, again, this whole time blamed herself and kind of put uh, Estella out. And that yeah. kind of becomes a thing where she put Estella out because she wants to be good because mm -hmm. being Cruella got her mother killed. Yeah. And and then when she realizes that it was actually Emma Thompson's, the Baroness, who killed her mother, she's mm -hmm. like, well, Cruella's, Cruella's back out. Yeah. Which kind of scares me, to be <laughs> honest. Like, Emma Stone did a great job acting in this film, and I was deeply worried for her and worried of and, and scared of her throughout the film when she became Cruella. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's another thing I was thinking about was that <laughs> mental health is a real thing. <laughs> and um, I think it's really important that, I mean, in the film, and in a, I notice in a lot of films um, that are, like, more on the old side or classics or whatever, they say the person's mad and they don't really talk about like okay this person actually has like a personality disorder or whatever because like people just weren't really aware of that stuff but now that we're watching this film and seeing like she has like this like dual personality um she's probably has a mental illness and and it might be hereditary yes but we'll get it we'll get into that because that was like a that was like a big thing yeah that was actually like that part in this the late part of the second act really helped to sew things together along with the reveal that the baroness had killed her mother mm -hmm. um i was like oh this film's not too bad it was it was some smart writing here yeah no it was and then i think as far as like actually caring about the protagonist if that's what we want to call her um cruella in this film um 
honestly, my emotions kept bouncing back and forth from not feeling sorry at all for her to wanting her to find peace and happiness. And I noticed that I initially started to really actually care about her when she found out that the Baroness was the one who stole her mother's necklace, or so she thinks. And um, after that, it kind of swung back to me not caring for her after she like went full Cruella and she was treating Jasper and Horace, her supposed family, like trash. Um, but then it went back to me feeling bad for her again after she found out that the Baroness is her mother. So a lot of mixed feelings about this main character. Yeah, I mean, I she's still a protagonist because she's she's the driving force of the film, of mm-hmm. the story. But it she's just not good. She's not a hero. Yeah. So I think we like right? Like you can't get that mix that mix between like if you're a protagonist, you have to be a good hero. Yeah. Like that's true. you can be the protagonist of a story, but you can still you can be evil. Mhm. And I thought that was interesting. We from Disney specifically, you usually don't get those kind of films. I know, I know people would be like, watch Maleficent, watch Maleficent. I'm not going to watch Maleficent. But I watched Cruella, and I thought that was a very interesting take on the, on a on a protagonist. Yes. And at some points, it felt like there were two antagonists, which was interesting. I, I kind of want you to explain, how could there be two antagonists? I mean... I'm just basing it off of emotion, like how I felt, because usually for the protagonist, you like want them to succeed, but then a part of me was like, well, I kind of don't want either the Baroness or Cruella to succeed because they're both like doing evil things to each other, so I don't know, I I kind of had that feeling for a little bit. Yeah, I, I disagree with you because... The evil or bad that Krella was doing. Like, she was a little mean to Jasper and Horace. I agree with that. But she was just making dresses. (laughs) She was just showing that the Baroness was a hack who was just stealing other people's work and slapping her brand name on it. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, like, she didn't kill a single dog. So I felt like she was still good in this, in the, in, you know, she was a thief, but she wasn't like, um, I didn't. I didn't think she was like evil, like, like a Hannibal Lecter or something like that. Yeah. Did Did you think she was doing like she was evil, evil? Like no, she's definitely I mean, like, like not a good hero, but she. Just towards the very end, where like Jasper was asking her, "You're not gonna murder her, are you?" And then she's like, "Only if I have to." But she it, was joking, darling. She's oh, joking, gosh. darling. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, maybe she's like gonna get really twisted towards the end of it, but they kept so those are moments that they kept doing to us as an audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, there's um like the final dress act she did before like the main like before the third act, where they had a concert and then she had a dress where it looked like where it looked like she had Dalmatian skin on her dress. Yeah. Where she had killed and skinned the dogs of the Baroness. Mm-hmm. And that was like, oh, that was shocking. And even Jasper, who, oh, we'll just say this real quick. Jasper and Horace are a lot smarter than how they're portrayed in the animated film yes. from years ago. And Jasper specifically is almost played as a love interest, for, like slightly, very mm-hmm. subtly. So Jasper is trying to, like, he loves, he loves Estella. He loves... Like, you're a thief, but you have morals. 
and <laughs> you're not crazy. Yeah. Where and you could see on his face like he's like, did you kill the dogs? Mm-hmm. So they did that there. And then we find out later that the dogs are still alive. Yeah. Then they had another moment in the third act with like the final prank or, you know, I don't know what you call it. The final uh, caper, as it were. Uh-huh. And Cruella pulls out a very long needle, like a sewing thread needle, mm-hmm. but very long. And it could kill somebody. Yeah. And she's like slowly creeping up to the Baroness because the Baroness doesn't know she's coming for her. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, this is going to be the moment where she gets her revenge and just straight out murders. <laughs> yeah, straight shanks the Baroness and she bleeds out of her neck or something. Mm-hmm. Like something out of Kill Bill. And Jasper, again, is that part is like for the audience, for us, like like the good through line to be like, oh no, she's going to do this. Yeah. And then she just pokes the Baroness on the elbow and then steals her dog whistle. And then mm-hmm. later on she used a dog whistle to get the Baroness out to the terrace. Yeah. So the film keeps trying to like push that boundary. And I don't know what happened in the writer's room with the executives and producers and all that stuff. But again, I'm not saying she's a hero. No one. I don't think she's someone to look up to. Mm-hmm. But she was bad enough to take on the Baroness, who was a true villain, in my opinion. But she wasn't bad enough where it's like, I can't root for you at all. Yeah. She was crazy, though. She was. And I think, I mean, was her relationship with Jasper and Horace abusive? Yes, that that's true. It was it was an abusive relationship for sure. Yes, very like, controlling. She and... she took advantage of the fact that she knew Jasper wasn't gonna say no to her, and he like they even had that in the film. Mm-hmm. It was like I, it's hard for me to say no to you, Corella. And she's like, that's why I like you. Yeah, so much that's, or whatever. that's yeah. It's like, and he's like, uh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, dang, Jasper, leave, bro. If anyone's out there in a relationship like that, leave the relationship. Yes. It's not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Or at least get some distance. Put some distance. Put some separation. That's not healthy for you. That's all I wanted to say. I just, <laughs> I felt really okay. bad for Jasper. Also, they race-bended Jasper, and they race-bended Anita, and they race-bended... I don't know if Roger... Is that... Is he still Caucasian, or I feel like he might be, like, a mixture of something else? I'm not sure. But... Uh, I felt like that was okay. Like those characters don't have to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't take away from the story, in my opinion, and they were competent acting, as far as I as far as I could tell. Yeah. What did you think about that? I thought it was fine. I was honestly just trying to remember who Anita was from the original One Hundred and One Dalmatians film. Yeah, we'll we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But um, I, I thought it was really lovely. But yeah, as far as I, I still believe that Emma Stone and Cruella are like a true protagonist because they're pushing the plot forward. Okay. And then what did you think about them choosing to make her best friend a dog? Yeah, I think his name was Buster. Buster the dog. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I know Wink. or Wink. Yeah, Wink was incredible. Wink. He was very useful. I feel like. I feel like Cruella's dog was kind of useless because he just got into trouble mainly. I honestly don't remember the name of that dog. But he stole. He 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 did some. He did some some interesting thievery. But the dogs that they had on their their team mm-hmm. of Cruella, Jasper, and Horace 
Wink, and I'm going to call him Buster because I think that's what his name was. And, like, you know, the dogs were very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, their dogs are better than cats. It's just another movie that proves it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> dogs rule and cats drool. Oh, no. That's an old reference right there. Yes. Very old. Um, also, I mean, just speaking of characters... Um, we loved John McCrea as Artie. Yeah, he was awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah. And I, I really, really enjoyed him. Every time he was on screen, I loved his relationship with Cruella. She kind of like discovers him as like this artist, fashion, fashionista that like helps Cruella like devise her, her fashion pranks on the Baroness. And I, I personally felt like if, if the movie did a character bad... It was definitely Artie. I would also say Jasper and Horace could have got more screen time to show more of the relationship building between them two and Cruella. But also I felt like Artie, since he was really a part of the crew, they needed more scenes to show that Artie, Horace, and Jasper were friends. Mm-hmm. They had like one scene where like Artie like kicks a security guard in the back of the head or something to save Horace in the third act. Uh, and that was really good. That showed like, hey, he's a part of this group too. Mm-hmm. And he was there at the fin- at the very end too. So I thought that was fun and I would like to see if they do a sequel, like how that all plays out. Because Artie, even though he goes along with Corella just like Jasper and Horace, all three of them have a moral compass that they have a line that is yeah. crossed. Um, and I, I do want to see, I wonder how that's going to be played out in a sequel, how Corella pushes them past that boundary and how they all react to it. Mm-hmm. Because even Artie was like, "You didn't murder those Dalmatians, did you?" He's like, "No." Okay, we're good. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I just loved, I loved the energy from John McCrea. I, I thought it was really a really great, interesting character. I'm glad that, you know, that that character was added for this film. Mm-hmm. And he definitely had um, Ziggy Stardust vibes, which I mean, it makes sense because this is taking place in the 70s. I'm guessing so there was a or 70s or like early 80s so there's a lot of um like david bowie like punk rock kind of stuff going on definitely definitely yeah and then they had the 70s soundtrack but do you think that matched with the whole disney cruella character i didn't think it matched i personally didn't like the music didn't really grab me in this film at all mm-hmm. i felt like they kind of looked at like a a top 40 playlist from that time period and was like, let's just put this here. Let's just put this there. Uh, I, and I, I don't even remember a single piece in the, in the traditional score that was like, Oh, that was meaningful. Like the whole scene that we saw that really stood out to me in the first, like full trailer for this film where Krella's on, on the, the motorbike and she's kind of crying. And mm-hmm. now that we know the context of that, that's where Mark Strong's character who's the butler for the Baroness, reveals this whole backstory of where Cruella comes from. You know, now that she has to deal with the fact that her mother is a Baroness, like, I felt like there could have been a really great piece of classical music that could have played there. Or even, like, a classical piece that was, like, a rift on an an old 70s ballad of some kind Mm. would have been amazing. Um, But I never felt anything there, besides, obviously, again, the great acting from Emma Stone and, and the great visual tones of that moment. Mm-hmm. So, th- yeah, the music kind of fell flat for me, personally. Mm-hmm. 
dark and grungy feeling. Um, there wasn't really any part of it that felt light and happy, except for maybe towards the end when they were receiving Pongo and Perdita. Is that the name of the dog? Um, the female dog. I don't remember, but it's per per something. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's actually a really good point. I enjoyed watching this film, but I didn't feel I didn't feel depressed about it personally. I could watch it and be okay, mm-hmm. but it is it's not like a fun feeling film, and I wonder how that played with Disney family audiences. I mean, if you I mean okay, Tim Burton did Nightmare Before Christmas, and that was a Disney film. But there was actual like jokes in there. Like you could, you would bust out laughing in that film. That's true. I mean, there's stuff in here we laughed at. I think it 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 wasn't like super serious. Oh, like but the there mink, were... the mink horror stuff. Yeah, but there were um, there were like funny moments and stuff. But I think just visually, it was really dark. Um, but it makes sense yeah. with who the character is, and it's really matching. I think Cruella's personality type. So yeah. it was fine with me. That's no, true. I mean, also, like, I'm not really into fashion. That's, like, another thing, like, man, the world's so into fashion. Like, fashion rules the world. Mm-hmm. And, again, there's probably people listening right now who are like, yes, that's true. Sorry, I'm, I am not that into the fashion industry, but more power to you. But I thought, like, the dresses and the dress designs and how they use them within the pranks, uh, the capers, like, they had, like, that moment where... Like, this beautiful gold piece dress, or you thought it was gold, was actually a bunch of, like, moths. Yeah. And when they were released, like, that was an amazing moment. Mm-hmm. This film was, like, super smart, but also the visual tones to match the the, the smart, the, the intelligent writing of the film was, was great. Yeah. And I love the hair. I love the hair, this new hair, Cruella hair. Because to me, the Glenn Close hair was just so wild looking. <laughs> and it was like, it had its own personality. But I loved how... Uh, Emma Stone's version of the Cruella hair was it just looked very beautiful like I would if I could rock it I would yeah it kept making me think of Sia honestly because she has that half black half white hair but she probably got that from Cruella Cruella yeah um but yeah I was just I actually really liked the fashion aspects of the film because a part of me like a small part of me Wanted to like design clothes. Oh, Michelle, darling, you want to design clothes? (laughs) Because I used to actually, I mean, I'm not bragging because they weren't that great, but like when I was little, I used to actually draw out like dresses and stuff like she was doing in the thing. I would like try to create my own styles and stuff. So I was like thinking that was really cool watching all that stuff. Yeah. No, you know what? And I did understand how she climbed the ladder besides the, the thievery and. And different different bad forces that were used to get her into a position. But I did understand like her being a quote unquote fashion genius and mm-hmm. uh, why why uh, the Baroness thought she was talented. Yeah, like the her trajectory of how she went from scrubbing toilets to Cruella doing her thing make complete sense yeah it was very logical it wasn't like oh now you got this job and now you got this job and then yeah. it's like climbing the ladder naturally but it, it was really good yeah i really really enjoyed that and also i liked that the story wasn't like it wasn't it was very refreshing in the sense of it wasn't a story about the chosen one and it wasn't um 
like your typical Joseph Campbell kind of storyline, the hero of a thousand faces. They obviously it followed an act one, act two, act three structure, but it was refreshing. It was more of like, uh, it was more of like a contest of who can outsmart who between the protagonist and the antagonist. But it was also just like a coming of age story, but again, not in the traditional form that we're so used to. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the fact that it was like it was literally like Cruella's mother that she was competing against. Yeah. And that made so much sense too. Like once that was revealed. It really helped the emotional drive of the film and the competition. And then it, it even like raised the stakes even more at that point. Yeah. And again, it when that, that official thirty that 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 first thirty minutes that were kind of confusing, kinda ill for me, like made everything made sense and I was like okay I'm, I'm totally on board now for the finale of this mm-hmm. one of the parts that I really liked which they came back around to I don't think they made it well I mean it was kind of obvious but maybe if you weren't thinking about it you wouldn't catch it but when the Baroness um and Estella were talking at the table and she was saying that she only toasts to herself yeah th- this is after Estella came up with that gold dress yeah the main attraction of her spring line or whatever it was right um but she she was like saying oh i thought you would toast to me because i created the dress for you and then she's like i only toast to myself and then at the end of the movie and i i hated the bareness yeah oh my gosh that was was really annoying. like everything about her i didn't want her to die but it was just more like she was so rude to people. Mm-hmm. Why do people who are rich and who are powerful, why are they so rude to the people who are like their servants, their maids, the people that take care of them? Why is that okay? I don't know. It's not okay, but... That I was mean, complete trash. Yeah. Like, when Cruella was saying like, hey, boys, help me out here. Like, I'm sure she's a terrible boss. I kind of wanted a few of them to turn on the, the bareness. That would have been a really sick scene. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in the third act. I thought that's what would have happened in the third act. Yeah. They would have all come for her and she would have been, boys, are you sure you want to actually pl- uh, be with this woman? That would have been a really cool play. The third act was still really great, but I just, I was just thinking about that. That's what I wanted to tell you. And I was going to, oh, this might spoil something for you. Yeah, that I think that would have been too easy though. But um, what I was saying was that like when she actually had to toast to Cruella at the end. That was like really, that was kind of the poetic justice she was talking about. Yeah. I think. Like yeah. how it came well, that back and around her, to And her. then the whole like, she fell off the terrace that her mother. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> that's no, that's tough, true. But... And she was like touching. Yeah. That was really good. I really like that. Mm-hmm. She, she made the bareness compliment somebody else. And that was one thing that was really cool about Mark Strong's backstory exposition where he mentioned that the Baron was actually really cool, and then the Baroness was narcissistic mm-hmm. and didn't even want a child. Yeah. Wow. That was like really. I I I, I detest characters like that. <laughs> it's a good. It was a good villain. Good villain. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't that. I mean, not that she just didn't want to have kids, but she wanted to murder the child after it was born. Like that was just crazy. Yep. Um. Yeah. yeah so. So, Michelle, did you feel the dual personalities of Estella versus Cruella were necessary? Um, yes. 
it's I don't know how it would have gone if it wasn't like that, but I I think um just to make it more obvious cuz she had to sort of cover up her identity anyway so that she could protect herself. True, that's true. Um but then her relationship with Jasper and Horace probably would have been a lot different if she was Cruella all the way through. And I don't like think an, they would have stayed with her. Yeah, and even like Anita Darling. Yeah, I don't think any of those people would have really stuck around because she's, like, horrible to be with when she's Cruella. Um, But I think, I think, like, towards the end, she finally learned how to sort of blend the two. Like, she learned how to say I'm sorry and stuff as Cruella. that was nice. That was really nice. Um, Which, which again, how does she become the crazy lady that we see in in the animated 101 Dalmatians? Yeah, I don't know. Something bad must have happened to her. Maybe, like, a bad... like relationship or I don't know she started to become really poor and maybe that's why she started to become desperate she started losing her money Mm. I don't know I don't know how they're gonna do it I don't know anyway sorry continue my my apologies no I I mean I think just I think having the two like it kind of shows because I feel like one of the underlying messages of this film is to show like be who you truly are not what the world wants you to be oh yes 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 and so estella was who the world wanted her to be right but cruella is who she actually was and so if they didn't have that contrast between the two um i don't think that message would have gotten across i think that's an interesting message when it's with with cruella because then estella was still a genius she was just very nice or at least she was a lot nicer Mm-hmm. Whereas Cruella was a genius, but then she was mean. <laughs> so I don't know if I like that message with the movie Cruella because I think you can be smart and change the world mm-hmm. and still be kind. Yeah, Just like true. Ted Lasso. <laughs> Watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, people. <laughs> so what did you think of the connections they made during the end credit scene? Yeah, so it was it was a lovely film when it ended, so I thought we weren't going to get anything extra. And then when we got the end credit scene that showed Krella giving, you know, a puppy Dalmatian boy and a puppy Dalmatian girl to Anita Darling and, and Roger at the end, setting up immediately, what if, like, we started watching the animated one-on-one Dalmatians film, like, right after, and it was, like, immediately, like, right into it. Mm-hmm. Like, that was beautiful that was a smooth transition that was really really well done like that's like i was like that's how i like just clap my hands really loud because i was like that's how you do it and i thought that was amazing because that was a very deep connection into the lore and it really made me feel like the writers directors obviously like emma stone glenn close was the executive producer on this film really knew what they were what they were doing and the whole the whole disney machine was working mm-hmm and I thought that was amazing. Yes. I've actually heard, I mean, I don't know how it would work, but I heard that they were thinking about doing a sequel to this film. Yeah, well, I think I think you do a sequel that leads into the one-on-one Dalmatians. Yeah, that's But true. now you have uh, a real foundation for Cruella. Mm-hmm. And I don't really need to know more about Roger and Anita. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I would like to really understand... What happens to Corella where she's willing to be mean but not kill and then she's then she turns into exactly you know into into a killer into at least a, a premeditated killer hmm. 
she starts getting to like furs and things like that. Like, you know, what happened? Yeah, that is true. And I think it's interesting, too, because that would lead us into thinking that, you know, for me, that Krella is becoming the thing she hates. Like the thing that she detests about the Baroness, she starts to become. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things, too, of like how kids fight against becoming like their parents. But in the end, it's inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. So, um, Michelle, does this film cultivate love in the hearts of humankind? And we and we ask this question because it's important to us that stories cultivate love and 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 bridge the gaps between us and unite us. So, th- did did this film do that for you? My first reaction, my knee jerk reaction was no. No, it didn't. No. But tell him, Michelle. Thinking about it. Tell him, mate. Tell him, mate. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Thinking about it, I think it may help you to cultivate love for a villain that you would normally despise. So I think it's interesting to look at the origin story of villains and see how they were hurt somehow or the things that they went through made them who they were. And then that in turn helps you to be more empathetic towards them but and you don't just villainize people in your head of like oh they're evil they're bad like this is how they got to that point and it's not it's not so different than if i were to go through those kinds of things but does that mean that we become a lawless society where there's no good or bad and in the sense of if someone breaks the law that they're not held accountable for that I don't think that's what I was going with Mm -hmm. um, because there's still accountability and rehabilitation and all of that stuff. Right. Um, So it's not that you're giving villains a pass, but if you can learn how to love your enemy or love the villain, um, I think that is like a bridge to helping them become a good person. Okay, I see what you're saying. So I, I would stick in the context of Cruella. I think up until a certain point where her, Jasper, and Horace were kids who needed to survive. And they didn't want to trust the system of the social system that they would be put into. That I can kind of forgive that when they're kids to survive and get food, they needed to maybe steal a couple things. But when they're older and they're they're able now to go get adult jobs and have careers and things like that where they can be more of a more of a positive contribution to society even in a way though that they did positively contribute to society by getting the baroness killed because she was a murderous hack um i think then to me that's where it's hard to forgive or give them a pass Hmm. because they're not little kids anymore they're not little kids who need to survive anymore but even if that's all they knew like no they didn't have parents to be like you probably shouldn't steal Mm, I. That's a huge conversation because <laughs> I do think Catherine, the maid who was the surrogate mother, did her very best to show Cruella, these are you need to be kind and to love people. That's true. And I don't know about Jasper or Horace, but again, I really like those characters in this film. Again, I'm not here to pass judgment, but just sticking within the confines of this story. 
when Estella did get a job, and they did use some some thieving and trickery to get her promoted, um, or at least to get the job in the first place. But then by her own talent, she was able to get a better job with the Baroness. She the the Baroness said that she has the talent to have her own label. Mm-hmm. Right now, what's the difference is she doesn't have the capital really. She the Baroness made this whole play of like, are you a killer? And it's like, no, just give her some capital and show and she'll show you how talented she is and probably take a lot of your business. Yeah. But she didn't have the capital. So how does someone succeed then when they don't have the capital, even though they have the talent? Hmm. Right. But again, I my, my, my main point is, is that when they were adults, they did have skills that they could have been construction workers. They could have like opened up a small shop or something like Artie and been, you know, reputable people mm-hmm. in society. Maybe not super big like um millionaires or billionaires but they could have they could have survived they could have done well for themselves in a reputable way in a legal way that is true that's my that's my that would be my only point but again we wouldn't have this this story to <laughs> i guess mm-hmm. to in, to enjoy my my thing is uh, the whole film i didn't care about Cruella. i did not feel bad for her for anything <laughs> like i felt bad like that her mom hated her like mm-hmm. that's not cool but I didn't really care. Like, if she if she had gotten killed, I would have been like, oh, okay, well, you know, like, you're <laughs> you're a dog killer in Skinner, so I'm, <laughs> you, that's what she eventually becomes. So I was just like, ah, I'm okay with this, right? Like, I didn't feel like empathy, so much empathy for her, but I did understand where she was coming from, and I like I, like as a kid, I think that's horrible because like her mom is so narcissistic, so selfish that she didn't want to raise her. Mm-hmm. I think that was just that that sucks like for any person to have to start their life with that mm-hmm. hanging over their head like I wasn't wanted yeah and not just wanted but then they tried to kill me mm-hmm. that that's terrible yeah so I understand kind of the state of mind that she could be in when she becomes an adult but I also think this is a good writing lesson when it uh, when it came to the film doing a great job creating a villain that you'd want the uh, a very good villain but that you that you want the other villain to defeat. So like with the Baroness was a very, very good villain, a very good antagonist. And even though this like villain protagonist, uh, Cruella was bad, I think they did a great job showing the dichotomy between the two, the difference between the two, so that you knew like, okay, the Cruella's bad, but the, the Baroness is evil and she needs to be dis- d- deposed. Mm-hmm. And just a little side note from some Star Wars fanfare. I think <laughs> this would be a great concept for a Darth Maul and Darth Sidious movie. Uh, something that happens before episode one. So if anyone out there listening thinks that's a good idea, hit us up. Because I think actually that would be a really great concept. So Darth Maul would be the daughter of Darth Sidious? <laughs> that's not how Star Wars works. Mercy. I've tried, people. I've I've really tried with, with Michelle to to show her the ways. Darth Maul wants to start a fashion line. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! No, I'm. I think it the the play of master and apprentice. So Darth Sidious and Darth Maul. Darth Maul being an apprentice. Mm-hmm. I think that would be interesting play to see the dichotomy between the two. Yeah. Where like Darth Sidious sees that Darth Maul is super talented and could one day depose him, and mm-hmm. so f- is trying to find different ways to put Darth Maul in his place. So that he can remain in power for longer. Hmm. Like those who are in power want to stay in power essentially. Yeah. So I really think this could be an interesting template for that 
for a Star Wars story moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be awesome to do that in like a live action uh, movie or TV short TV series or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this is the real question, though. Yes. What is the real question? Is Cruella better than Cats 2019? The answer for that. You'll have to find out in our bonus episode on our Patreon page. Thank you so much for listening to the Musty Creative Podcast. I'm just fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's way better than Cats 2019. Way better. And, but that's our meter. So we don't give, like, actual ratings or reviews. But is it better than Cats 2019? Yes. And it, it is better than Cats it 2019. It is better. Not much is better than Cats 2019, right? Cats 2019 is one of those just amazing pieces of art. It was a strange time pre-COVID, but... We knew COVID was coming. Before the days of COVID, yeah. Before the dark times. Yes. Before the empire. Did cats cause COVID? No. Let's not, let's not, put, let's not put all that on James Corden. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, seriously. Um, <laughs> this is better than Cats 19. Go watch it. It's actually really good. Yes. Very entertaining. Yeah, very, very entertaining. Very funny. If you love fashion, it's a great film about fashion. Um, if you love dogs, it's a great film about dogs. Um, yeah. Yeah, no dogs were harmed in this film. I was very surprised. Yes. Very, very good. Yeah, very good. On next week's episode, we are going to discuss the newest Pixar release film called Luca. We're very excited for this film. We previewed this film a couple times already on the podcast. It has, like, an interesting, like, fish, sea sea town story going on it's also a different art style from pixar it's not traditional 3d animation so we're very excited to see how this plays out uh, with you know with everyone's opinions and, and feelings about it but it looks like it could be another pixar hit and we will be talking about it on the show next week if you want to watch it it will be on disney plus it will be start it will start streaming on june 18th and you don't have to pay a 30 dollars fee to watch it so as long as you're a disney plus subscriber go ahead and watch it and then be here for next week's episode and we'll be discussing it in full length cool and Cool. And if you want to be featured as a guest on our show, email us at themustycreative at gmail.com and tell us your story. And a big thanks to our monthly supporters for helping us make this episode of the Musty Creative Podcast possible. If you would like to become a financial supporter of the show or a producer of the show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash mustycreative and help make this show the best. You're the best around. (laughs) All right, and that's all we have time for. Remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And now it's time to shower up. Give them a satisfaction they couldn't get any other way.